The temperature is nice and warm in the Boiling Point Podcast studio, so come on in, get cozy, and let's enjoy the conversation. We empower leaders through thoughtful discussions to positively impact our world. Our host, Dave Vale, founder and CEO of Vision Coaching, Inc., is highlighting how we can thrive in business communities. Our conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, and inspirational storytellers are shining a spotlight on empowerment. Joining Dave this week is our special guest host, Emily Roger. Let's join the conversation with Dave and Emily. Hey, Dave. You know, so I love that we are in Hemings House headquarters. Thank you to Greg for letting us record here today. And between you and I, we could not get any of the audio or technical stuff sorted out. So instead of us both sitting in this beautiful boardroom, I am in here all by myself. <laughs> you are sitting I'm in a closet, <laughs> another room. Yeah. In a closet. <laughs> and we're both just using the old school MacBook mics and uh, yeah, but here we are in a full production company. <laughs> and we tra- yeah. We traveled from, you know, from, from places to be here, to, 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 to be in the same boardroom, physically distanced, of course, and socially distanced or whatever, but we couldn't figure it out. Um, and, uh, and hopefully by you know our third or fourth interview because we do a bunch of them together we'll we'll figure that out. Um, and you have the good mic. I know that people will know, <laughs> and me not so much. But you tried you you tried today to get the good light, and oh. it. Uh, I need the good light. I need like you. You, got, you, hey, you know me. what, Dave? If you want the good light, you got to show up <laughs> early to take yeah. this seat. Okay, you know what. I don't need to be like that. <laughs> uh, that's great. So, so you- I am so excited for today's episode. It is my friend, very good friend of mine, Phil Jewell, who I met through Railroads University. He is a certified executive coach. And it's funny because my first memory of seeing the name Phil Jewell was at the beginning of Railroads. We do the SDI Um Strength, strength, strength reports and and all of our results come back and then all of the students everyone's result is on it so we could see each other and so there's the green the red the blue the hub so emily roger is as far red as far red could be like to the point that i was like embarrassed what's red, what's red? For people red is like competitive <laughs> like, but right next to Emily was Phil Jewell. And I thought, oh, who is this guy? And so we initially connected over our personality traits, I guess. Shared so, traits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'll let Phil welcome to the Boiling Point podcast. Thank you. I, I told you to to dress up, to look presentable, yeah. to not embarrass me because I, I was the one who suggested you come on. <laughs> Exactly, and this is my best shirt, so I hope it's good enough. Oh, that's great, that's great. And then there was also something about body language or a body mouth yeah. or something like that mentioned in an email as well. So, so I'm hoping that we get to hear you in all your glory, buddy. <laughs> you don't want to go through all of it. Yeah, well, we can put an explicit sign on this if we need to when we send it out. So, what what made you think of Phil as a guest, Emily? Phil is probably one of the most passionate people to speak on the topic of leadership it is is like his energy level just like rises when he speaks about leadership and servant leadership and he has an incredible story of 
coming from British military leading um, and to now coaching and with his company, Impact Leadership. And so with that, Phil, I am going to let you introduce yourself because you probably don't want the listeners to hear my introduction of you. <laughs> no, that is... I love it, Emily. Thank you. And and that is awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, hearing you mention and you recognize my passion for leadership. It cuts some, you know, like you mentioned about the red kind of makes you cringe a little bit. And sometimes when I hear that, it makes me cringe a little bit because sometimes I, well, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a passionate person. And one thing I'm learning on my own journey is to own all of that. You know what I mean? Just to own it. And, and that's certainly something that I haven't owned over the last decade or so. So, yeah, so I'm very passionate about this subject of leadership, not at all because I talk from any sort of pedestal, like I'm any sort of expert in it whatsoever, because I've had a lot of failures and a lot of, um, you know, real life leadership experiences. I'm very passionate about kind of giving back, you know what I mean? And trying to pass on some of my, my learnings, which honestly have come through failures, you know? So it's actually, I was talking to somebody the other day and I'm like, oh, you know, because you're a leadership expert. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not a leadership expert. I don't know what I am. And I, at the moment, I guess, I think on LinkedIn, as I said, like leadership specialist. I don't even like the word specialist, but it's like kind of specialized in it. You know what I mean? But I'm not at all any sort of expert or, you know, forward thinker or anything like that. But I'm just, I'm very, very passionate about it. In fact, it is the one subject which, which lights me up. And I think it's because like many of us, I've experienced the effects of, of very good leadership and uh, the effects of not so good leadership, you know. Well, tell let, tell us about that. Like, what you know, and, and and it's interesting because your your military background, and and then you know now, and and I'm assuming you're you're you own the company. You're an entrepreneur at this stage of the game. And yeah, you, you yeah. Don't, you don't hear that a lot in terms of the career trajectory that you've taken. I'd love to yeah kind of get a sense of how that happened, and you know what your yeah. part. I think that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, and everyone's story is unique and everyone's story is different. And mine, you know, is it, definitely different. And, you know, I guess, yeah, I've I've taken a leap of faith. You know, I've left the, you know, the comfort and security that comes with maybe a salaried nine to five and followed my passion. And, you know, um, I'm so happy and fulfilled for, you know, what I get to, to do every day. Um, but it's interesting. I Why did I take the path? I, almost because I was stubborn and wanted to do something different than everyone else seemed to be doing. I had no connection to the British Army whatsoever. I didn't know anybody in it. It was just, I liked adventure. I liked doing things different. I just didn't see myself going in a, you know, a suit corporate job or whatever it was. And and so, you know, I, I applied for the British Army and then they said, oh, you seem to have some sort of leadership traits. And I was like, oh, no, whatever. You know, I, I'm, you know, because Sanders, I know you've heard of Sanders, Royal Military Academy of Sanders is where I was trained for 12 months. And, you know, it's where royalty royalty goes. It's where some, you know, some of the, you know, the leaders, the, you know, the you kind of well-known lead. Where's that? Where that Sorry? It's, go... in, uh, it's in London. So it's just outside of London in the UK. The Royal Military Academy of Standards. Oh, okay, got it. Got yeah. It. So it's where, like, you know, uh, like Prince Harry and Prince William, which I was actually there at the same time. I'm not claiming I know them or anything like that. I'm just saying, well, we're in the same cohort. Of this. But um, <laughs> so it's, that, it's, it's where a lot of people go from a lot of different backgrounds. But the... You know, so I don't know why I took that path. I think I just was stubborn and I was, you know, I wanted an adventure. But, you know, soon after taking that path, it really made me realize that I was serving a higher purpose. And servant leadership is the motto of, of Sanders, like servant leadership. And I'll never forget, I think it was like week week one and it's, you know, 52 week course, but week one or whatever, you know, it was like middle of, middle of night or early morning, whatever it was. And, you know, I structured liners up at, and they literally said, you know, the only reason you are here 
is to potentially have a privilege of leading soldiers one day. And so very early on, it was ingrained in me that a leader's role is a privileged role to lead those they're lucky and fortunate enough to lead. And it's not the other way around. There are some organizations and some people and some institutions that get told on day one, you are the best of the best, but like you're going to be our leaders. You're the best of the best. That's why you're here. We were given the opposite message. We were like, you're the worst of the worst. We have soldiers who are like absolutely outstanding and we may let you lead them one day. And, and that's kind of, that was, that's been ingrained in me kind of, and I'm taking that through my whole sort of kind of leadership philosophy, you know? Um, yeah. So that's kind of, you know, the, the servant leadership type model I really, really believe in. Well, and with that, like, what is servant leadership? Because is that only in the military? No, no. And I think it's, oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. Ken Blanchard, I think, who came up with the, you know, the, the did a lot of the research and academic kind of aspects behind servant leadership, you know, I think in, in the 60s or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff out there about, you know, kind of what it is in, in the theoretical sort of, um, perspective and the reason I'm kind of hesitating there is because sometimes none of that really sticks to me and I can't you know articulate it tangibly for me servant leadership is you truly believe you are there to serve others and that's what servant, you know, servant leadership is you're a servant first leader second like you want to be a leader or you became a leader because you want to help others and you want to serve others that's why you became a leader you didn't become a leader for all the other reasons that some people may become leaders so you know it's it's that I am here to serve those I have the privilege of leading. And so and that doesn't mean always saying yes to them and giving them whatever they want. You know, it, it means being a good follower as well. And followership is a massive part of leadership, you know. And, you, you know, I always viewed it as like a big chain and I'm just a link in that chain. And the chain gets pulled either side. You know, that's my team wanting to go in this direction. But, you know, strategic sort of headquarters want to go in another direction. Well, my job is to try and be that link in the chain and not bend too much either way, because if I do, it would break, you know? It's funny, um, <clears throat> going back to the idea that, um, you know, the best of the best, and that's why you became the leader. And in fact, I mean, some of the stuff we're seeing, you know, it, uh, like if you just, at any level, this would apply, but let's just take, um, you know, the best salesperson all of a sudden becomes the sales manager or the general sales manager, you know, I'm thinking in car dealerships. Um, and that those the the, the 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 person who has the ability and the competency and the knowledge to sell a lot of cars isn't necessarily often isn't is is exact opposite of what going to be successful in that leadership position. But there's yeah. this, I, and I see it in, with in you know engineers. I see I see it in all these different things, and 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 in a way, it's a good thing because they call sometimes coaching companies to come help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like, business, I like that part of it, but. But I'm always surprised, right? Um, and and I've, it sounds like the British military got it right. Yeah, it's such a great point. You know, and you, you name any industry, and it was like whoever was the top performer, you know, the best architect, the best salesperson, like you said, all of a sudden they became an overnight leader. And all of a sudden they were now doing a role completely different that they were given no training or development for, that in my mind is its own profession. Now, it's not a profession in terms of this, you know, accreditation and all this sort of stuff. But absolutely, for me, leadership is its own domain with, with its own skill set. And you need to be given the awareness and tools and time to develop into that role. And that's why I'm, I'm driven passionately because I feel for leaders who get a bad rep because it's not their fault. They've been thrown into that position without the training and skill to do it. We would never, we would never expect a salesperson to be a great salesperson or any trade or any profession to be good at that without the training and skills. And yet we have we think 
that we can do that for leaders and, and we, we absolutely can't. And, and kind of going back to, I, and I agree, I'm very biased towards the British Army and they get it right, but I mean, they get a lot of things not right as well. I'm not, you know, saying that all army leadership is the way forward at all. But one thing they absolutely do get right is they hire you because of your character. And, and that is it. They're, they're one of the few Western, Western armies who really don't care about your education. Like they do not care about your education to be a leader in the British Army, which is completely different to what you see in North America, where having a degree is a prerequisite. In the British Army, they do not care. And if I can share one quick story, mm. I'll, ne I'll never forget this. Um, and my selection to go to Sanders, which is quite, you know, there's a two day selection and basically if you pass that, you get in, you get invited to go back to a four day selection. So it's like a six day job interview basically to go and to just to attend Sanders where they can kick you out on a whim. But I'll never forget the last day. And we were asked to do this, you know, it's end of day four of the second phase. We're all very tired, et cetera. Asked to do this physical assault course individually. And there was this metal uh, window. It, it was basically made out to be windows, maybe like three or four feet off the ground. There's this metal frame. And, it, you know, it, it, what, there's no padding or anything. It's going to hurt if you hit it. And you had to dive through head first. And then that was the start. That was the start of the assault course, to dive through that head first. And then carry on, the, you know, carry on and they give you time. And when I was ready to go, I was kind of pumped up, kind of nervous. And I, I remember turning to the side and seeing a lot of senior people. And I just guess I was seeing people by the entourage they had behind them show up they were obviously on you know dem getting a given a demonstration so here i was ready to prove my fitness level and so i i ran head first through this window and i dived head through first through this window got through it landed on the ground kept on going and I, and then and i turned around i saw them in the corner eyes so i was like yeah i'm gonna really get a good time and they all turned around and walked off including the instructors who were assessing me and they never came back not a single one of them cared about the time I was going to get on that sole course, they did not care. They could train that. They knew they could, they were going to have me for a year. They could get me to any physical shape. They cared that I had the moral courage and willpower and whatever it took to put myself in danger and die through that window head first. And that was, that is a tangible example of every single assessment I faced as trainers for your British Army officer it was never about something they could train you. It was never about your education. They could educate you. They could train you. It was about those characteristics, those kind of inner characteristics which are so hard to train hmm. where do you think those inner characteristics came from you like you said that in the military mm. that they naturally said like that that you are a leader what were some of those well yeah where they came from yeah and that's i guess nature versus nurture kind of question maybe as well i i don't honestly i don't know where they came from you know and 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 i'm i you know and i don't I don't know if I believe in nature versus like yeah, I believe in it all in it both. You know what I mean? Because you know I believe in the growth mindset. I, I you know I have a really bad habit of going into a fixed mindset, but I really try and force myself in the growth mindset. You know, so that's kind of the nurture. You know, I can grow and I grow, but there are some innate characteristics, and I don't know where it comes from. You know, I I just don't know. But I know for myself from a young age. I always found myself in leadership positions, whether it was like leadership of the, of the soccer team, as you know, like, like a nine, 10 year old or a teenager, whatever it was, you know, I worked in a fast food chain and very soon became a leader when I was at high school. And I didn't want those leaders. Like I didn't seek them out. I just happened to be put into those, to those leadership positions. So I, I, you know, I don't know what those characteristics are, but I'm pretty sure the basis of them all are, uh, 
you know, you, you, you want to be a servant. You want to lead because you want to make the environment better for those who need. And that is it. And you're not there for your ego. You're not there for your, for anything, you know, and that, I think they all come down to that. You know, there's a, there's a interesting um, book. Um, so we're, we're, we're all sitting in Canada right now for people that don't know. Um, and it's called, it's actually by a Canadian author, McGill or two authors. And I, I um, had the chance to present after her a few times and listen to her work. And it's called Leadership Made in Canada. And hmm. they basically do, and it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know it's a fairly academically. So, um, so just take that for what it's worth. Um, but it's, but it's, what's interesting is they went out and they surveyed what they would call, I think, ex, um, extraordinary leaders, but from all sectors, right? Nonprofit, corporate. And, um, and think one of the things I found really interesting that, tie, that I think ties into this conversation is they were, they asked, um, and it was close to 400 of them and pretty, you know, deep surveys and, you know, kind of trying to really gather, like, how did, how did you become a leader? How did you develop as a leader? And, and then, and then ultimately make some um, recommendations, right? About how we keep that pipeline mm -hmm. going. Um, in Canada, but one of the one of the things that struck me as interesting is, um, you know, what, as and so they were all they they would have defined these people all had performed at a high level in leadership in whatever their respective you know area, and so was are you, you know, would you consider yourself an accidental leader? In other words, and the 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 definition kind of and I'm butchering it a little bit, but it's this idea that you know there was something a calling and something you had to step into and you just you, you made that decision to take that 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 leap mm. or are, would you consider yourself a mate leader you know just always someone who was kind of willing to just jump in and you know was the captain of whatever rugby hockey soccer biking whatever team that was or you know president debate club or whatever it might be and um and i i th thought i well that's a pretty easy answer but i was i'm coming from a certain lens clearly um, but what what do you think the ratio would be uh, in terms of accidental to innate? Ooh. And, and I'm, it's not fair to throw this at you, but it's just I found it. I was curious. And Emily, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, I I would think that. I mean, I would like to think that more, the higher percentage would be innate. Okay, and what about you, Phil? Well, I almost want to say, like, I don't see it as an either or. Like, I, you know, I see that it's like an innate leader, but you kind of accidentally develop those innate things that have put you in that position. That makes sense. That works. So I'm kind no. of dodging. Maybe, and I'm, it's, it's, that's not being fair because I'm kind of dodging, dodging the real I think you dodge. I think, I think you dodge. Do I dodge? I think, okay, I dodge. I think okay. you're a British politician, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No way! I am no, no, and, and I know I've I've known only known him for half an hour. I know that is not true. Um, you know, so okay, seventy five percent accidental. They uh, that's what I'll go. Okay, so yeah, you would be closer to yeah. It was it, I have to I'll have to go back now because I'm gonna someone will fact check me and, and go you're wrong. But it was certainly yeah. over fifty percent was was accidental. Wow! And I remember being really surprised by that. Yeah. But then I thought like. You know that what's that great film where the 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 rugby the uh, rugby team gets goes down over the Andes and they um and and uh, and they somehow survive they have to climb you know um anyways they, but what they found in the in the, the story in the movie is true story um the the kind of formal captains of the team weren't necessarily the ones 
that got them through, you know, and some people, how people stood up and what Phil was saying about followership and all that kind of stuff. It was just, mm-hmm. um, but there, there were situations created where they, they, they stepped up, but they wouldn't have defined themselves as, oh, I see myself as a leader. Um, mm. that. So, and again, I mean, I, I'm in dangerous territory here because I'm kind of going off the back, you know, my, but I love the, the servant leadership. So what I'd be curious about is, um, so how did that lead you to coaching and, and, and Royal Roads in particular? Um, given that we all have that same mm. experience, right? Yeah, how did that lead? Yeah, I mean, and there were a lot of experience and events between that story at Sanders and getting introduced to servant leadership to, to kind of where I'm now. I mean, it's, you know, 17, 18 years ago. Um, I mean, the servant leadership just got stronger and stronger, you know, a bigger desire and a larger desire to, to help others. You know what I mean? And, and I don't mean that in help as in, of you know, people need my help, you know, but just to be there to, to serve others, you know, and I served overseas and, and, and I saw, you know, you know, the, the extreme ends of, you know, humanity, if you like, you know, the good and the bad. And, you know, it really just pushed me to just, well, in fact, I remember one day, actually, uh, I never forget this moment. I looked down on the desert floor after, you know, a, every, every moment is hard there, but this was a ridiculously hard 24 hours. And I looked down, I was like, I am never punching a ticket in life. Like I, you know, whatever gift we've been given, I am going to maximize that as much mm-hmm. as I can. And um, because I realized there were people who just are not going to give, are not going to be given those opportunities and people I knew. Um, so, you know, but fast forward, maybe five, 10 years from there, I ended up realizing I was living a life of comfort. You know what I mean? I was absolutely punching the ticket. Uh, and, you know, the last 18 months made me reflect a lot on my desires and my passions and, and also my belief in myself, which I'd absolutely lost. Uh, and the coaching had always been um, kind of something that I thought I'd be interested in and I thought I'd like to do. But I never realized how impactful it would have been until that first week. It, it, you know, that first day and i know myself and emily have spoken about this it's just and i don't know if you can share similar experiences today but i was just awestruck at how i i just i just knew i was in the right space i just knew i had to be in that space with those people in that energy and i've never felt that way honestly in 10 15 years and so that was to me was like oh wow like you need to be here you know and, and that was kind of the start of my and then seeing the power of coaching for my own, for myself. I mean, I, I've spoken to Emily about this as well, but you know, we, we talk about um, what our priority relationships in our life. And uh, we, we often don't put ourselves in any of that list, you know, but for me, I had failed big time at the relationship, which is most important uh, in a sense into the relationship with myself. You know, I, I didn't know myself as much as I thought I knew, I knew myself, or if I did know myself, I'd forgotten who I was, et cetera. And so the self-awareness and the power of what coaching has able to help me do by being coached really helped me kind of believe and buy into this, the, the strength and the power of coaching. Oh, well said. What, did, did you feel that same thing, Emily? When you yeah, first- yeah, I did a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's that that feeling where, um, you know, I, I think at any time, and just recently for me, I decided a couple of weeks ago to move back to New Brunswick. And it's that when you get that feeling of you know you're in the right place or you know that you're not in the right place and and having the courage to act on that. And I say that because, yeah, in that, that first day of residency for in the Royal Roads program, it's like, yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. 
And I think in so many different avenues in our, in our life and areas in our life, if we kind of sit back and look and take that time to reflect inwardly of how does this feel? Is this right? Am I just, am I punching my ticket? Am I feeling settled or am I really going after what my heart desires? Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I find the railroad uh, experience. Um, so anyone that's interested, they have a graduate certificate in executive coaching and it's um, man, they run a lot of cohorts. They run, you know, and it's always loaded. And, um, and I had the, the fortune to run into it when in 2004 or five, you know, I was, I went through it. And I think it was one of maybe the first five cohorts. Um, and there's only 13 of us in our cohort. And, um, I'm still in touch with these people, you know, mm-hmm. it was just such a rich experience. Um, and I, I believe, um, and this is a, you know, kind of a, a, a promo for Royal Roads is what I loved about it was it was, it was, you know, it had enough academic rigor, but it was taught by practitioners, you know, like people that know coaching. And the first thing I, I recall was a coaching demonstration, you know what I mean? And then it was this, it was experiential and just really spoke to how I learn, I think, and maybe others, maybe you guys felt the same way. And, yeah. um, but certainly within, uh, maybe the first <laughs> two days, I was like, this is what I got to do. I got to set up a business yeah. and do this. And, and at the time, um, um, we had just got married, my wife and I, and found out we were pregnant and built a house. And this is not the right time, you know, if you're going to do the, the right thing to start a coaching business, but the calling was too strong. You know? I just, mm. you know, so I had to do it, but it sounds like you got, we all had a similar experience. Yeah. And, and yeah. many of the faculty members are the same, you know, so yeah. you, guys, you guys would be experiencing. So, yeah. um, so how, so, um, so how are you, how are you now both finding getting out and, you know, um, Phil in your case to the, um, you know, into the, the world of coaching and, um, you know, how, how are you leveraging that and connecting that to leadership? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'm absolutely loving it, which is interesting because, I knew I had to be on, in that space when I started the course. And as we went through self-discovery and for those, you know, I mean, I was so surprised at the amount of self-discovery that this course was about and the coaching was about, about being coached yourself. But, you know, it obviously can only lead others as far as you can lead yourself. Um, so I am, you know, in, I enjoy, you know, enjoy it is not the right word. I just feel so privileged to share that space with somebody and to touch somebody you know have that human interaction and just to partner with somebody and be on that journey with them is such a, such an honor and such a privilege you know and, and and really truly it absolutely ties into the kind of servant leadership that you know i 
mm-hmm. you know, in my professional career was, you know, ingrained in me. So, you know, I, I see it as such an honor and I, and I just love, I just love being in the space. I, I, and I thought, I, I, I knew I'd enjoy it, but I thought I'd find it sometimes overwhelming and sometimes tiring, which of course it can be, anything can be. But I, I walk away from coaching calls feeling equally as coached and feeling equally as energized as the person I'm coaching. And that's just an, an amazing privilege, you know? And so how I'm, how I'm tying that into leadership and kind of before my coaching journey, I developed a number of um, leadership development courses based on my own, uh, my own experiences, kind of how to lead oneself and then how to lead teams or not how to, because no such thing as how to, but Hey, this is what worked for me. This is what my experience is, is my life lessons, you know, from, you know, both combat to corporate, et cetera. And what I've actually done now, it's all kind of a, it was online, uh, like a course folks taking over three months or two of them. But what I've done now is broken it down into the modules where I call them coaching minis. So when I partner with a client, they always get access to, you know, 15, 20 leadership development modules that they can take in their own time that kind of help them in their, you know, their development. And, you know, it, it's done at the same time with coaching. We might not discuss them during a coaching call. You know, they just do it as an addition. Sometimes things resonate with them. They want to bring it back and discuss it. So I'm really finding that that may be a really good niche I'd like to tap into because it's really, it fills my passion as well for kind of leadership. Very cool. Are they, are they like virtual modules? Yeah, or? it's all virtual. Yeah. And ironically, I, I built this Christmas built all prior to COVID. COVID it was almost like my hobby outside like a few years ago. I always say like I was, I built a kit car in the garage, you know, and then, and just that was, that's all I did with it though. And I didn't take it out for a drive. And then, Looking in the mirror over the last 18 months, I realized, like, hey, Phil, you've got to own it and be vulnerable to owning it and take it for a drive, you know? So, yeah, it's all built online using, like, learning management software. Um, you know, like, I'm lucky my wife is a, is a kind of a creative. She's, you know, a media and marketing. Uh, she has her own company. So she does all the filming for me, et cetera. And I have these short online modules. Yeah, and it's all automated in terms of the registration for the clients, et cetera. So, yeah, it's... It, you know, it's it's super exciting, and really, I feel like I'm just getting started in where it can go. Where and we should ask you right now, but like, where would people find that? Because I'm someone listening to it saying, "Oh, let's let's give it to them right now," and I'm not make them wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, impactleadershipteam.com. That's where uh, that's the main site. From there, you can go to the training site, and then yeah, just play around. So, Phil, I'm curious when you kind of look back and reflect at your time, like at Sanders, even what was the most impactful kind of lesson in that that you are still carrying with you today? Hmm. Wow. I mean, I'll go back to an experience we had at maybe week seven of being there. So, at week seven, we're asked to go on this 36, 40 hour um, kind of hike march in the mountains in Wales you know, in the same terrain where they, they train the SAS. And we're carrying like 80 pounds of kit each. And we're asked to do various sort of assessments and tests on the way. No sleep and all that, all that good stuff. And we did, as my, there's eight of us in my team, and it's all leaderless. So there's no assigned leader and there's no instructors with you whatsoever. So there's no instructors. Um, and then we did it horrendously bad because we were like, you know, we didn't return in time. We didn't give them all the information they needed. And I remember driving back to kind of our base, and I was like, oh, we, we're in for it. Like, this is, I don't know how I'm going to get through this because this is so hard as it is. If they add on, you know, if they take away even more sleep and add on even more stuff, you know, and our instructor lined us up and they were like, hey, like, okay, what, what happened out there? Like, you, you, you ate seemingly pretty decent people to me. 
you know, and this was eight, seven, eight weeks in. So you, you didn't have a physical stamina. They hadn't trained you or anything like that. It was literally a, a challenge, a test of willpower and your, your mental strength, you know. And it was, we explained what happened. And really, we just made some honest mistakes. And then she was like, okay, cool, no problem, fine. And, and walked away. And there was no, we, we were like the bottom of like 270 people. We were, the, and we had like, you know, we shamed our the instructors, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't care. We weren't penalized. We weren't punished. In fact, we were kind of celebrated by it. And it wasn't until later on, you know, like a long time later on that I realized, you know, you keep, like people can succeed. Individuals can succeed, but teams, the team they're part of can all, like, at the same time fail. And so, it, it, you know, all they cared about was teamwork. All they cared about how we were going to function when the chips were down. And if we stood there and blamed each other, if we'd looked for excuses, reasons, et cetera, and we didn't. We just were honest and open. And we spoke about how we bonded as a team, et cetera, you know. And so I think one of the biggest lessons that has really stuck for me is, you know, and, and in sports team analogy is a good one. You know, you, you can be MVP, you can, you know, be the top scorer. But if your team loses, have you really succeeded? And there are too many leaders, there are too many leaders and too many people in every organization who, who walk home every night or whatever it is, go from the COVID room every night and say, you know what, and feel that they've succeeded, even if those around them have failed, even if their colleagues around them have failed. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons is we are all responsible for every, everyone else's success. Hmm. Yeah, um, there's, a, there's an exercise called Win All You Can Do With Teams. Um, that you may be familiar with. And, uh, and it's interesting, you'll have this conversation, right? Um, and maybe and not, not, uh, not told as brilliantly as, as you just said, Phil, but, you know, just about this idea of collective outcomes, you know, and, and mm. high score, does that necessarily mean, um, and, your, and your, your team doesn't win, does that, you know, if you think of sports, I'm going to be a, a real Canadian here talking about, you know, in the Stanley Cup, did you really win, right? And maybe you individually want a contract. But, um, so, and everyone shaking their head. Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, you know? And then, and, and then you, you put them through this exercise where it, it seems like they should be pitted against one each other, but they're just supposed to get the most points. And there's this, there's this way to do it, but people get competitive and they, <laughs> they show you right there the, exactly what you're describing, Phil, like in a, you know, in, in sort of create experience. <laughs> like, remember we talked about collective outcomes and everyone said, Oh yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And, and then they do the exact opposite. And it's just so funny because it's, I mean, like, I'd just be curious what you think about that because it feels like it's just ingrained in us in some way, right? To, to be naturally competitive and, and feel like I'm, I'm winning if, if I'm beating you versus yeah. are we all, could we all win together? I mean, it is ingrained, isn't it? Unfortunately, I mean, I have an eight and 10 year old and I, I think about the, you know, the, the educational system where, you know, a lot of our growth happens, you know, as, as a child and it's individual grades, you know, and, and, um, you know, we, I just received, in fact, we just had the school reports a few weeks ago and, you know, uh, my son has struggled with literacy all his life, speech, and uh, you know, delays, et cetera. And so, you know, scores very poorly on, on the, on the speech or literacy side compared to the provincial average and what it is, you know, so we're comparing an individual saying this person's kind of below standard against this average. And it's ridiculous because actually he is, the progress this kid has made is absolutely unbelievable. And we're so proud of him. 
you know, and it just shows that like we all have a different start line as well. Like everyone has a different start line. So, you know, by giving everybody this, this saying everybody needs to be at this standard, this age, you're assuming they all have the same start line in September and they absolutely did not have the same start line. You know, it makes you go back to when I was at school and, you know, you, you know, if you got an ace, you know, I don't know what the grades, I don't know. I don't know how we call grades in Canada. I went to high school in UK, but you know, if you got an A star, you were given a certificate at the end of the year or whatever it is. What about what about the person who got a C minus, you know, but came from like an F level and just worked so hard, you know, to get that. We, so we, I just think it, unfortunately it is ingrained in us and it's a learned behavior. And then we become adults and we're trying to help folks, including ourselves, unlearn it, and that's the challenge. Yeah, it it becomes very ingrained as to oh, I'm an honor student or not. When it's like, wait a minute, what's an honor student even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who really cares? I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter, you know. And it's uh, and I, I I have a, maybe a bit of a skewed view on this, um, but I think we over overrate education, you know. And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, ac- the academic side of our society is so important. The research that comes out there, etc. But I think we overrate what education means. And we think that if someone is educated, then they obviously have high high morals and high ethics, high values. An amazing example that really, really frustrated me recently was, a, was applying for passports, British passports for my kids. And you had to get the photograph signed by, you know, like by somebody who is apparently trustworthy and is going to give, and they gave a list. In, in the UK, they gave me a list. Okay, I had to be a doctor, or, you know, whatever. And the list. And it's it, it basically that message is saying that, okay, so if you're maybe a blue collar worker, you don't have the ethical values to, to sign this, which is it's so wrong, you know, and it really frustrates me. So unfortunately, I think we do. Um, it's ironic because, I mean, education is so important. Don't be wrong. I mean, I massively believe that education is the only thing that's going to help this world become better. But there's a point where we place too much emphasis on education at the, you know, the kind of post high school level. Oh man, I couldn't. Yeah, wow, we're we're cut from the same cloth. I couldn't agree with you more. And and it's also like, how do people learn, right? Um, yeah. And you know, and and what is that really? You know, when we talk about standards, what that really speaks to one type of learner. Uh, from my my, I'm married to an educator, so kind of, and her perspective would be exactly that. And she would actually fully line up with with what you're thinking, Phil, around, you know, let's 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 celebrate where someone's come from. Um, and she's in kindergarten. Yeah. There's some kids that come to kindergarten that hold the book upside down because they've never, they've just for whatever yeah. reason, never had that experience. And then other kids are reading Harry Potter, you know, and, and so they're starting at very different places. So, um, mm. so what are, uh, Emily, what are some takeaways from this conversation for you? What are some takeaways? Um, you know, I, I, I think back to your story of, um, of your time at Sanders and the ability to just make the jump and that nobody cared after the, your instructors kind of turned, turned their back and just how important it is to, are you going to take action? Mm. That's my takeaway, Dave. I love it. Um, and there's quite a few, um, let me think about like the, this, the, uh, well, I just, I just, I, I, it's interesting how you, there's these moments and, and you, that, that you're describing, Phil, that you've gone through and just how it sparked new learning. And there's a whole bunch of them that you're describing to us. And I know, I know there's many more, but I think of what I was thinking and I was kind of looking at the, the bookshelf behind you, I was thinking, 
He's still written a book, and if he hasn't, when's he going to do it? Is that something huh. he's interested in? Because you get you you know the the your I think it's I'm really just uh, uh, attracted to the storytelling you do and and how you do it, and I just it's a really powerful way for me to learn. So so I appreciate that uh, in 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 someone you know in hearing someone tell these great stories, you know. And I think I'm guessing, and Emily would know this much better than I would, but there's probably many more. <laughs> There's many more. The book conversation has certainly been had, I know, between okay. you and I. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, it's, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, it's amazingly uncomfortable, you know, to have to sit here and hear you say that because, you know, it goes down to that whole imposter syndrome, that self-belief. And, you know, it's uh, like you mentioned in writing a book and I'm like, oh, well, I've got nothing nothing to talk about and it's honestly it's only through my coaching experiences of being coached myself and I, and I think I can say that I'm very fortunate to be coached by Emily and she has helped me on my learning journey and I have a shoebox actually it's in the corner of the room and it's all my memories and letters from home and maps and everything from Afghanistan and that shoebox literally was unopened for over 10 years it was unopened for a lot of reasons and it's now here and I've unpacked it and I've read things and I'm now starting to realize that you know what Phil yeah like own your stories, like own your stories. It's okay to do that. So, yeah, yeah. That, well, there's there's so much power in that. Um, I, I remember hearing a speaker where it was it was it was an ICF conference, an International Coach Federation conference in um, Long Beach, California, like like 15 years ago. And she tells a story about she was capturing um, stories of you know uh, victims of, of war. Yeah, she's kind of very ties into to your background, Phil. And um, and she was getting them to share their stories to make sure the document, and primarily women too, that had been victims. And and then once so one person asked her to tell her story, and and then she 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 mm-hmm. leads into her story about her father being um, a pilot for Saddam Hussein. And 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 they called him Uncle Saddam, and she starts sharing the story. And her message was, "Share, you, you know, we all have a story to share." Yeah. She was she was hiding from her story. But it's, I remember sitting there after just thinking, you know, and, and that's a profound story, but, but, it, but you, we all have stories, don't we? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, told. I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> that I'm really hoping um, that uh, Phil asks you to coach him through getting his book out or, or, or you remind him that, or he creates some yeah. around that. It's going to be the last, of, it's going to be the last of day. Let's be honest. Emmy's going to remind me of that. I'm, you know, whether I want it or not, I'm getting coached with it. I already know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Phil, how else can all of the listeners get in contact with you? I know you said the website for your, for impact leadership, but how else? Yeah. And thanks. And I'm on LinkedIn just under my own name, Phil Jewell. Uh, and you know, I'm, uh, you know, on Instagram, I, I hesitate because I'm not very good on Instagram, but I am on there on impact.leadership. Uh, and that's where you can find me. I mean, this day and age, if people want to find me, I'm sure they can. And certainly appreciate this conversation today. It's, you know, like I mentioned that when I coach a client, I, I feel really energized and, you know, and I absolutely uh, feel like really energized. And that's a good way to, you know, to, to roll into the weekend. Have you oh. already done your workout today? Uh, Emily, I have already done my workout. So I, can I share that, Emily? That's a quick story. Ever got time? I don't know. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, 18, the last 18 months, like fitness as me has always been a, good, a very foundation. You know, I always work out for my mental health. And over the last 18 months, it's just been a struggle. Motivation has been, you know, at the negative at best, et cetera. 
and, and and last week I was on a coaching. I've been coached by Emily, and I had all these things that I thought I wanted to be coached on. And ultimately, we came down to physical fitness, uh, and you know, which was tying into lo- lots of bigger things. And then that and that coaching call led to me walking into a gym the next day and basically handing over my credit card and saying, "Sign me up." So since you know, basically that was nine days ago. In nine days, I've been to the gym every day, but Sunday, I've hired a personal trainer. I've had two personal training sessions. We have a six-month plan. And, you know, I only share that because it just shows the power of coaching. I know what I should have done. I know I should have gone to the gym, but I was not going to make that until kind of somebody held me capable, which was Emily. So that's why Emily asked me to do my workout. I did it this morning. I feel awesome. I usually, I've been sending the selfies, or not selfies, selfies of my feet from the gym. Yeah. That's what we the <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, you're probably pretty sore too. <laughs> I, oh, you, I am so sore. My wife is just like laughing at me. So you did. <laughs> oh, well, awesome. there we've all got our workouts in today. Even Dave got a workout in before he came yeah. here, and nice. I got to put my deodorant on. <laughs> <laughs> is that why you're in a separate room, though? Really? Because the deodorant. Yeah. 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 I, I just figured that out. That's probably why. Yeah, exactly. I think it's working fine. She could have clicked on something to make it work. She's like, ah, Dave, I think you got to go to the other room. Yeah, not happening. Not happening. <laughs> so, um, uh, like, just so nice to meet you. I, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're in the same world. We're in the same part of the, the, the world physically, too. Um, so we, we definitely got to, I, I hope to connect with you at, at a, another time. Yeah. For, for, and then we're going to have you on when, um, you know, around the book launch, for sure, if not sooner. Awesome. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and we're gonna get we're gonna get Jean Viev to to do that. What is it? What do we call this? The outtake or the the outtake? Yeah, that, sometimes when you do it, it's called the outtake. Sometimes, <laughs> um, so it's all of our social information. So if you're looking to learn more about the podcast, uh, you can head over to boilingpointpodcast.com. You can see all of our conversations there. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. You can subscribe, you can like it, you can leave us a review. And if you want to see the video, uh, you can head to YouTube or Facebook. Thanks, Jean Viev. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. No problem. Thanks a lot for having me on. Okay. See you, Phil. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Boiling Point Podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite listening platform. To find out more, head to our website at boilingpointpodcast.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. To find out more about Dave Vale's work, head over to visioncoachinginc.com. Thanks for listening, and make sure to check out our next conversation. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.